think, of Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Robin B. And I'm your other host, Willa Rowe. Was I right? Was it, is this episode 15? <laughs> it is, yeah. Okay, great. Keep rolling, keep rolling. Off to a great start. So, last week, before we started recording, you had asked me, uh, it was a rough week uh, in the world of video games, in that uh, there were layoffs in on several, like on the media front, and uh, game developers, uh, very notably like Launcher, Washington Post's gaming vertical was shut down, uh, and a lot of other you know folks at other places lost their jobs. So well, that was just kind of the most high profile one. And before we started recording, you asked me if I wanted to talk about sort of the you know state of games media given all the layoffs Mm -hmm. and i said no that sounds too depressing uh and then this week uh that became much harder to avoid and much more personally depressing uh because bdg the parent company for inverse laid off a bunch of people uh gawker was shut down entirely and i was one of the people laid off um the only person from inverse to lose their job for reasons that have not yet really been articulated to me clearly, but uh, that's where we are. I uh, no longer am employed at Inverse, which is a huge bummer, um, obviously, uh, but also felt um, like the kind of thing we couldn't not talk about, or at least I couldn't not talk about. Sorry for making you deal with this, but but yeah, that's that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. So. This is not the thing we're going to talk about for the whole episode. So we it's will just going to be an hour of this. Yeah, no, there will be a timestamp where you can miss the uh, Robin mourns her career section of this uh, this podcast. Um, but it felt worth discussing. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't really have a plan going into this. I just kind of. I don't know. Wanted to air things out and, and see see where we got with them. I guess. I guess I want to ask you for your perspective on this because you are like very new to the industry and this is an industry that's extremely well known for being very brutal to to workers and laying people off uh very often so this you know you being new to the industry that makes this the first like kind of um I don't know, most personal <laughs> layoff, I guess. The first time you've had a co-worker laid off mm-hmm. and and kind of survived that. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'm just curious about your perspective on that. Like, have you, have you been, you know, caught in a layoff in like any other job, like not related or I don't know. What what are you, what are you thinking about, (laughs) about this, this week? Yeah. I mean, so like before this, I've never really been in a situation where I've like been through layoffs or anything. Um, so this is like probably the longest term job I've had. Uh, and I knew going in, like the industry is not necessarily the safest for job security. Um, it's something that I've always been thinking about and always been worried about. And like, it was one of those things where it's like at BDG, like we've, this was not a new thing even for us in the past mm-hmm. few months. Cause like this was the third round of layoffs and it was just the fact that like, it was so close to home and the fact that like you got laid off and it was just like incredibly heartbreaking for us. And for me, like specifically because just like how 
immediately welcoming you were when I got the job and made it a point to become my friend (laughs) to the point where we now have this podcast, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which like I'm so happy about now because it means that I get to still talk to you like constantly. But yeah, I mean, uh, layoffs suck. And it's the thing of just with more generally with all the layoffs that had been going on recently with like Waypo and stuff specifically, where it it's really hard to deal with when it's like, this is the career you want to have. And mm-hmm. so often you look around and everybody's just like, well, if we just do it right, maybe we can fix the problem. But like, it just has been proven over and over again that you cannot do it right. It doesn't matter. Like, even if you're doing it super, super well, like Waypo was in general, like Launcher was, I mean, or if you're just like a really good writer, like you are it. And I never want to make it about myself, but it's like layoffs affect everybody in some way, obviously not to the extent that it affected you, but it's like, it just makes everybody depressed and think about the future. And it's like, I've been so upset the past like several days because it's like, oh, well, I don't know how much longer I have. And then if that happens, then where do you even go? Because nowhere is technically safe. And then also the whole time I'm just like, oh, I miss my best friend at work. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're tweeting a bunch and then you make me cry. Yeah. (laughs) And then I'm just sitting at my desk sobbing. (laughs) Sometimes you just you wake up crying and need to tweet through it, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You're right. Like it's, it's impossible not to take it, um, not to see it the ways that it affects you personally, even when you're not the person laid off. Like, like you mentioned, this wasn't the first round of layoffs for BDG. Remember when, um, input was, was shuttered a couple of months ago. Those weren't even like, I mean, we work now with some great folks who were at input or you do, we, I did, but none of us worked with them at the time, you know, and it was still, it just felt so close to home. You know, people who are, um, our colleagues, even though we didn't really talk to them much and like doing the same kind of work and like doing great work and seeing that happen is really, um, really demoralizing mm-hmm. and i think to you're really you're right like there is no there's no right way to to do this kind of work that like insulates you from it i think there is the, the sort of like game media industry is actually sort of two separate industries where there is like they're the people who are doing the work <laughs> the people who uh care about criticism and reporting and want to like you know spend their lives writing about this stuff and and there's there's that level of the industry that is you know our level but then there's another level to it which is the like management level where they don't give a shit about what you're writing uh everything that we do in in games media is just a way for them to get people to look at web pages so that they can sell advertisements on them like if they could sell ads on a blank page they would none of us would ever have a job because the people with the money funding the sites look with at best like complete lack of concern at what we do uh, and i suspect it's more like disdain um at least that's the way it feels <laughs> to be working in this industry mm-hmm. most of the time uh so there is no fix like really on that level of of just being good enough that it won't happen to you it's something that i've seen a lot uh, especially around the launcher close was like 
a lot of people who have worked for a long time in games media just like outright saying like nobody should be doing this job anymore like get out of the industry if you're thinking about getting into it don't do it and i get where that's coming from i definitely feel where that anger and that you know wanting to guide people to something more uh sustainable it comes from a good place but to me i don't know this message is never really really make a lot of sense to me because the reason that we're all doing this is that it's like, like I said, it's a thing that we care about and there's, it's a very reasonable and like logical thing to say to someone like your job will never be secure and will probably also never be appreciated to begin with. And so you should go do something, find something else fulfilling that will actually pay your bills and will have a shelf life of longer than two years. Um, that makes perfect sense, but people don't generally make big decisions based on logic and sense when you care about something, you're going to do it. And you're just going to say, like so many of us do, like, I know this industry is going to chew me up and spit me out, but it's a thing I care about enough to do it anyway. And so I don't think that messaging of like the game's media is is dead is, it might be accurate, but it's not helpful. So that, it, that becomes a message that really doesn't mean anything. Um, and to me, I think the other, the problem behind the problem there is that the is the assumption that this is the way it has to be. Um, mm-hmm. There is no viable other model. There's not a defector model for for games media. Like I'm not saying that there is an easy answer that people are overlooking, but it does um, frustrate me that the message is well. Management has gutted this industry and and turned it into a strip mine, and so the thing that we should all do is leave the industry and just let them have it. I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer is to organize. And I think the answer is, I mean, that's not a perfect solution. It's its absolutely not. We've been trying to organize our union for two fucking years now. We've been negotiating a contract. And obviously it hasn't helped any of the people who have lost their jobs. But I think the answer is do everything you can to take power back from the people who are ruining the industry and put it in the hands of people who actually care about its future. And that's a difficult fight. And like lots of us are going to lose our jobs again and again during that fight. But I, you know, as much as that's not encouraging, I think it's at least realistic because telling people to stop doing the thing they care about and go do something more stable, I don't think is realistic. Like even like I've had plenty of jobs that were much more stable and paid better than, than game journalism for sure. But I still want to get back into the industry, even after this. I want to continue writing about games, because even this kind of, you know, cycle of of intermittent heartbreak and uh, constant instability, to me, is it doesn't. It also doesn't seem sustainable to me to jump from job to job, stable job to stable job to stable job, because you can't keep those jobs because they make you want to claw your eyes out. You know, that's not a long term solution either. So I don't know if, if people are like, have another passion that they really want to pursue. Uh, I think do that instead of, instead of doing this. But if, if criticism and journalism are things that matter to you, then there's nothing anyone can say that's actually going to turn you away from it anyway. So I think the advice to give people is instead do everything you can to make this a better industry for the people who are still in it and make it a place where you don't have to warn people away from joining it, you know, make it a place where there is at least some hope of, of worker ownership and of, of, you know, collective interest in, in the 
like the art and the craft of criticism and reporting. Uh, and those are tough things. And those are like more, I don't know, idealistic, I guess, than realistic. But I don't know. That's just how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I also just want to like flag, there was this really interesting uh, like video from John Warren, who uh, was the head mm -hmm. of Fanbyte um, before they shuttered Fanbyte basically talking about the idea of a defector for video games. I don't need to recount it like now, but it's it's a really interesting perspective on like that idea of the model and the state of journalism. So um, we'll like link that in the show notes. Uh, hmm. You should check it out. It's fun. It's really interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet either. I will mm -hmm. have to watch it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess that's what I have to say about this, <laughs> this crumbling industry. Uh, I do want to just like very quickly... Um, I posted a bit about this on Twitter. I think this is the thread that made you cry. Oh, no. Uh, but I just, I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I, I just, the the thing that is like, uh, one of the things that's running through my head a lot about this is um, just thinking of how grateful I was or how grateful I am to have gotten the chance to to be a you know not a big or popular voice, but a, a voice nonetheless a trans woman out there speaking about how uh, how media, how this this art form impacts me and other people like me. I think that's a valuable perspective, uh, particularly right now when there is like basically open warfare against us. Um, and if, I, I feel extremely privileged to have ever had the chance to be able to speak to trans people who were making games or who were in some way involved in, 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 in gaming and to be able to give them a voice and to share their stories, which so often are hidden entirely or told by cis people and thus like entirely transformed into a, a palatable for cis people version. I just... I recognize that it's a luxury that I had to to ever be able to, you know, put the work, be a trans person, putting my voice out there and using that voice to try in some small way to bring attention to other trans folks who, who were doing good things. And um, I don't take that for granted. And it is one of the things that makes me want to keep doing work in games um, and not go and find something more reasonable to do. Because um, there's a lot of people out there putting their hearts into things, and I want to be able to have a role in, you know, helping other people see those things that, that they're doing. Um, and to go back to what you said earlier, uh, I'm also very glad <laughs> that we got to be friends uh, in the short time we were both working at Inverse. And I said this when we were talking the other night, but thank God for girl mode. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm really glad that even though I can't harass you on slack all day anymore um we still get to have long conversations every week about video games that is legitimately like one of the reasons i got into writing about games in the first place is like i mean to call it up by name i guess i i was a big fan of i read and listened to a lot of of waypoint and seeing that kind of like intelligent criticism and like good reporting that they were doing was very influential on me getting into the industry but so was like the podcast, just just hearing people talk intelligently and critically about video games, 
that's what I wanted to do. Like when I wanted to, when I started thinking about doing this as a job, it was because I wanted to be having those conversations. Like I wanted to sit around with people whose opinions I respected and who I cared about and have these conversations about an art form that was like important to us. And I have that now. And so I, I never want to like underplay the importance of that and, and uh, underplay how grateful I am to be able to keep doing this with you. Um, oh, and yeah. fucking no one can make us stop doing it because no one's paying us for it. So <laughs> fuck off. This is ours. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's it. I'm just, I'm glad we're here. So for anyone who is still with us, thanks for, for bearing with us. Um, <laughs> it just, it just felt necessary um, to address the elephant in the room and to get some things off my chest. Uh, and uh, I am honestly feeling a little better <laughs> after having done that. So yeah, sorry to Zoe. I'm not going to be able to fulfill my role as being the funny one this week, but <laughs> uh, maybe soon. Given that this has been uh, a bit of a rough week for uh, for us, uh, we figured an interesting or at least an apropos thing to talk about this week would be uh, the idea of comfort games. When we're talking about comfort games, I do want to just make a distinction here. There's like a lot of discussion about like cozy games. I feel like that's become a really popular term and a really popular category in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And these are games often like Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley or for me, <laughs> Potionomics, the, the biggest fan of that game, apparently, <laughs> where it's just like games that are chill and like mostly, you know, a lot about like social interactions or kind of like building and personalizing things. I think there's a lot of crossover there. But when we're talking about comfort games, we're talking specifically the way that you would talk about like comfort food or comfort movies, where it's like when, you know, for instance, you've just lost a job you loved and you're not (laughs) feeling great and you need something to kind of like either pick you up or just like that is so familiar that it, it absorbs you and lets you kind of sink into it instead of thinking about like things going on in your actual life. Um, so those games can be cozy games or they can be straight up like, I don't know, fighting games, if that's your thing. Yeah. So we just wanted to talk a bit about some of our favorite comfort games. I've talked a lot this episode. So how about we, how about we give you a turn, Willa? (laughs) Um, is there, are there like patterns you see in the things that, that kind of become your comfort games or is it kind of a, just a smorgasbord? So I think it's like a bit of a hodgepodge, but Mm -hmm. like typically for me, what I'm looking for in a comfort game is it's like, I need something that typically for me, I want to do something a little bit mindless. Mm -hmm. So either a game where it's just like a repetitive task or like, like gameplay loop that I can just sink time into um, and just like really just get hooked by and just keep going or, you know, sometimes I can turn my mind off when I like replay a game that I've already played and I just very much like because uh, I can just like go through the motions of that because like I've played it so many times that mm-hmm. it just it feels like second nature to be able to just like go through the motions. But it it still engages me enough to where it like draws my attention and I can like let go of the other stuff that's going on. Um, so those are like the types of games I typically typically go for. 
And like one of the first ones I was thinking of, funnily enough, you said like not cozy games like Stardew Valley, but Stardew Valley is one of mine, but a very Mm -hmm. specific element of it, which is that I am obsessed with the fishing mini game in Stardew Valley, (laughs) which is not the most popular part of that game. (laughs) I know it's incredibly unpopular. Um, (laughs) People hate the fishing mini game and I think they're all wrong. Um, I kind of like it. I love it. But I want to hear. Yeah. What's 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 your deal? The thing (laughs) is, okay. So most fishing mini games, I think, are bullshit because they're so easy. All you do Mm -hmm. is like you throw the line and then you just have to wait for like one timed button input or something. And then you just kind of get the fish. Um, It's it's like too disengaged where you barely do anything. Whereas in Stardew Valley, uh, for like those who haven't played it, basically you're given a bar and on the bar... There's a smaller bar within it, which is like your fishing hook, essentially. And then there's a there's a fish icon that moves around up and down the bar. And you have to keep the fish within your hook bar in order to catch the fish. More difficult fish will like be more erratic. And the like harder fish you get, sometimes your hook bar is smaller. So it becomes like really, really difficult. And you have to fine tune how you do this. And I just really, really love it because like out of all the fishing mini games that I've played, it actually engages you where you really have to like put in the work to to do it. And then on top of that, there's there's a preparation process. You have to like choose your hook slash bait. You have to find the right areas. You have to be there at the right time of day. It's just there's a lot to do. And there's so many different varieties of fish like in Stardew Valley. It's so easy for me to just waste like so many in-game days or real days just <laughs> fishing. It's so good. I like I will die on the hill that the Stardew Valley fishing minigame is actually good and everybody else is just dumb and that they don't appreciate <laughs> it because they don't want to put in the work. Yeah, I, I think... It can be really annoying when there are some fish that just feels like it's impossible for you to get with like your, you know, the shit you're using, um, which is maybe just because I'm bad at it. I do agree. I, I like the that there's more to it than just pushing a button. Yeah, because a lot of times like that is all there is to it. Like I know like we both play a lot of Final Fantasy 14 and fishing in that game also involves a lot of the like preparation aspect mm-hmm. of like needing to use the right bait and get there at the right time and go to the right spot or whatever. And it is more complicated than just pushing a button when it gets hooked because there are like other sort of, I don't know, there's sort of skills you can use to increase your chance of catching things or whatever. But I do like the way that Stardew Valley represents kind of fishing, that sort of tug of war thing that a lot of fishing minigames um, sort of try to embody. I think Stardew Valley does does really well. It's interesting that that, that is like the part that you hone in on, though. Yeah, I do you find the whole game as comforting or do you like literally just like I'm going to go fish? Literally, I'm just like, I'm going to go fish. (laughs) Like I have played, you know, like I did, quote unquote, like the the main path of Stardew. So like Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I got married. I settled down. Uh, What's her name? Leah. Leah, the hot um, carpenter. Yes. I mean, come on. (laughs) Is this surprising in any way? Absolutely not. Um, 
I, I knew you had good taste. Yeah. So I married her and like I got my farm pretty self like sufficient where it just kind of runs itself. I did all of the like town hall quests and boxes. I did it all. But mostly I did it so that I could also do fishing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the fishing. You got to get the legendary fish. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, I have been playing Sturdy Valley this week in my search for comfort. Just as a total aside, uh, when I was starting up, I was like starting a new farm and I just like looked back through my old save files because you can see like what you named your character. And I have four files on there. And the first one is my dead name. <laughs> the second one is Robin. The third one is Rose, which is another name I was considering for a while. And then the fourth one is robin again <laughs> which just really made me laugh but yeah i have been playing stardew and it, it is like it's like it is like the prototypical like cozy game but it is also very much a comfort game uh and i think the same thing that makes the fishing engaging is the same thing that really works with like all the farming and stuff where like there's just the right amount of like crunch to it uh where you have to kind of like maintain things and and plan out your like where you're going to put crops and stuff like without being completely overwhelming and getting to the stage of like a kind of like, you know, factorio sort of like, you know, automation sim or whatever. Yeah, I think it, it draws a good balance in, in a lot of its systems between letting you kind of relax into it, but also being engaging enough that you're not just just pushing buttons. <laughs> what about you? What are what are some comfort games that either you usually play or you you have been playing? And what do you look? What do you look for in a comfort game? Yeah, it, it's an interesting question. I, I like the answer that it's like you're looking for something that's kind of mindless, and I think there's there's multiple things that that can mean because sometimes it means very like systems light things that you can just sort of relax with and and you know click around and and just kind of like take your mind off of things. But I think sometimes it also can be a very complex game that you have played enough that it becomes second nature. To first name one of the like simple games, uh, there's a game called Dwarf Romantic that came out last year that I really love. It is kind of a, an extremely chill. People call it a city builder, but it's not really. It's like you're placing tiles with different like elements on them. It can be a forest or a railroad or a river or houses. And you're basically just trying to match up those tiles so that they form consecutive sec sections of whatever those are. So make a, as large of a forest as you can or as long as a, of a river as you can. And it's very relaxing. Uh, you can just like play it for hours and like have a completely perfectly empty brain which i really love but there's also much more complex ones like i'll name just a couple off off bat but some of the games i really love going back to very frequently are uh like faster than light and into the breach which i say together because they're the same developer both of which are like very difficult systems you know a lot of like interacting systems like into the breach has fewer systems interacting but there's a lot to still keep track of but there's something about the complexity that like once you get the handle on it, it starts to feel like second nature. Uh, and there's like almost something relaxingly chaotic about Faster Than Light. Uh, and I think the predictability of Into the Breach is what makes it feel that way for me. There's a sort of comfort in a feeling of, if not mastery, then 
familiarity with with these complex things because uh, you always kind of remember how hard it used to be so when it becomes a little easier to you i think there's something calming in that one of my most probably like off the beaten path of comfort games ones for me is dragon's dogma oh which yeah I think is it, it's one of my most played games on pc playstation and switch like if you look <laughs> at my hours played i play that game so much and it is one of those games that's just like, there's so much happening in that game. It's so easy to like completely screw yourself over. And I think that kind of scratches a different itch, which is it has a very lively feeling world. Like you you really feel like you are in a living space and uh, traversing this sort of hostile terrain. And there's something about it that like just completely takes me out of the real world and and fully puts me in the body of the hot swordswoman that i'm playing every time i play that game yeah it's another one of those games where it's like it doesn't feel like it should be comforting because it is so complex but that in in a weird way like becomes comforting in itself yeah do you do you have like similar uh games like similarly like unexpected comfort games like that Uh, yeah i think so like one of the things i do and i talk about this every once in a while is um one of my problems that I have is instead of playing like new games um, for fun when I have downtime outside of, you know, reviewing stuff mm-hmm. is that instead of playing new games, I'll just replay like a bunch of RPGs that I've played a bunch of times because they're like so they're multiple hour long games, but I've played them before. So I can just like get lost in them. And like most of them are either are like turn based or something, which has like a fun system like dopamine rush. <laughs> um, so like one of the games that I play a lot is Final Fantasy VIII. And like the game itself is really fun to play and I do do it for that. But also similar to Stardew Valley, it's the mini game of it all where Final Fantasy VIII has the card game Triple Triad, which is one of the best designed mini games. And throughout the story of Final Fantasy VIII, you can just challenge like any NPC in the game to play this card game. And there's a whole I, quest line for it. I don't remember. Does that function the same way that it does in Final Fantasy XIV? Yes. It's okay. Yeah, it's in Final Fantasy XIV because it's from Final Fantasy VIII and it's so good. I cannot stand that game. How dare you? <laughs> I, I, it doesn't, my brain just cannot contain the rules for that game. Every time I play it, I, I don't know why I won or lost in, in a given round. The fun thing also is in Final Fantasy VIII, like the whole idea is that you're trying to like win the triple triad tournaments to face like the best player in all of the world. And it's this idea where every different region has their own like unique rules for the game. And if you beat a region, though, you get to basically strike a rule from the rule book. Hmm. and ban it forever that's cool (laughs) so if there's just a mechanic that you really don't like you can just basically be like i just will not deal with this anymore (laughs) um i do not see it yeah i I mean i find myself doing a lot of side content when i'm repeating games so like Mm -hmm. the witcher 3 is a game i really love because it's so expansive and the side quests are like super fun so i can just spend time in that weirdly enough i always find myself also going to like certain types of games that I honestly never play outside mm. of this, which is um, specifically I'm thinking of like first person shooters. Cause I always keep overwatch 
and Valorant installed on my computer, (laughs) but I never really play them unless I'm just like in the mood for a comfort thing because it's the fact that like matches are pretty quick. And even though I'm not the best at it, it's like pretty simple. There's, you know, you have an objective, you have your skill set and you just kind of do rounds. And I just find myself like wasting hours away, just going through rounds of Valorant, losing most of them, but having a good time. Yeah, that's interesting. There is nothing comforting to me about competitive games. <laughs> I, I, I generally find them so stressful. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking also, I think this is probably my like real answer for like my definitive comfort game, which is SSX Tricky and, oh, yes. and SSX3. I keep them emulated on my computer like I I have them downloaded on my desktop so that whenever I'm I want I can just do like half pipe runs (laughs) I've not played SSX tricky for so long and I have the strongest urge to play it now that you've just spoken it back into existence oh well we'll get you set up after we record (laughs) (laughs) I because like for me it was the thing of um I had a PlayStation 2 like in my house and we had SSX Tricky and I would play that game non-stop. Yeah, and it's just so fun. It's like the arcade snowboarding game and it's so satisfying to just do the like, to just rack up the combo. It's like the number go up, brain feel good. And I just don't think there's anything else like it. So I just still play it at my desk all the time. And I will just like do the same like level over and over and over again, just continuously trying to like get my high score up, but just like a couple numbers. It is, I think, a it is a perfect game. It's so good. Yeah, God, I can't, I need to play that again now. <laughs> uh, that's, that's somewhat reminds me of another game on my list, which I, I've mentioned several times. I won't go deep into it, but Sayonara Wild Hearts. Mm-hmm. It's just about the flow and the movement and like, yeah, fully brain off. Another great brain off game, I think is uh, Untitled Goose Game. Oh yeah. It's a game that you can just like, the point is just to be a nuisance. And it's like, w- when you're feeling down, it's good to just sort of like, honk in fury at the world (laughs) as a little goose and just fuck things up one that i want to shout out on here that i i don't know if we've mentioned it yet even though i talk about it a lot at least uh is it called invento i have told you about before and i i think you've you've picked it up at this point yeah i did uh it's a really great little puzzle game uh that i got on switch for like two dollars i it's it's very cheap but it's like the premise of the game is you are like a cat making little bento box lunches for your kitten which is very cute Uh, but it's just a little puzzle game and it's about arranging little blocks of different foods it like it just has a very gentle curve of like difficulty curve where it starts very simple it's literally just like placing things down in the right order and then sort of more complex rules start to get added but in such a like slow and gentle way that you always feel on top of it and it's just a great game to like it scratches the itch of like the puzzles are difficult enough that they're really satisfying, but you're never like stuck on the same one for hours and hours. Uh, and also it's just like, it's very cute and it, it is one of the cozy comforting games for sure. I would say like, th- this reminds me of um, a game called Dungeons of Dreadrock, mm-hmm. which I would highly suggest you play. Actually, it's really good. Basically the idea of Dungeons of Dreadrock is that 
you are going down a hundred floors of this mountain to try to like get to the boss essentially for like very thin story reasons. And every floor is essentially a logic puzzle in the form of like a dungeon crawler. There are enemies around the floor and there are traps and there are like doors that have keys and stuff and then keys around the level. And every square you move, the rest of the world moves. So you have to like basically look at the floor and be like, okay, I know this enemy moves with this pattern and this other one moves with this pattern. And if I time my steps correctly, I can get an enemy to step on a trap and that will open my path to a key and then I can get to the door. And it's, they take like a minute or two minutes tops for like each level, but they're just this like, they're these perfectly designed logic puzzles. The way I described it, I like wrote a review about it. And the way I described it is, um, I don't know if you like chess, but not particularly. I do like really bad chess. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but so like with chess, you can do these things called, they're basically like chess puzzles where, um, instead of like playing a game of chess, it will be a, a board in mid game. And mm-hmm. there will be like constraints where it basically says like in two moves, get checkmate or using only like the bishop get checkmate. So it essentially asks you to just know the, the way each piece works and to execute the perfect move set to reach the end game. That's how it feels playing Dungeons of Dreadrock. Yeah, that sounds great. That weirdly enough reminds me, we talked last week about uh, Cadence of Hyrule. Yes. And the way that it's about like memorizing enemy patterns and moving, you know, in, in sync with them. It's very similar. Uh, it's, that's a very funny synchronization. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I only knew that game as like a dungeon crawler. I didn't realize it was quite like that. I'll admit, I I guess I'm outing myself as not having read your review because I was oh, like, oh, I know what this game believe is. It. It's just a dungeon crawler. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> uh, but that does sound great. I think I think I will try that. Mm-hmm. It's also like super cheap. I think it's maybe three bucks at most. Fantastic. Yeah. Another, uh, speaking of dungeon crawlers, a game that I I know we both like and I suspect is might be a comfort game for both of us. Uh, one that I have been playing like basically as I fall asleep every night this week uh is torchlight 2 oh yeah which is like a great like you know sort of diablo style dungeon crawler but like i love this style of game the kind of like you know arpg like you know top down gear collecting type game Mm -hmm. um i'm very into that as a genre like it really scratches that mix of mindlessness and also and complexity because you're like making character builds and stuff as a genre, I really, I really like these games, uh, especially when I just need to tune out. And for whatever reason, like Torchlight Two, I f- is the one that I tend to go back to the most. I think because it has like interesting classes and there's lots of interesting builds you can make. Whether you want to be like really focused and optimized, or just make something completely ridiculous and have like a horde of robots following you around or or whatever but i've been playing this game a lot and it's one that i tend to go back to anytime i need to just sort of zone out and enjoy like creating carnage and uh finding you know interesting ways to build characters to to do that with i think it's also just pretty like like part of what makes it comforting is like it looks great it has this this nice like 
soft, cartoony sort of art style. You know, it's not the sort of grim, dark tone of something like Diablo. Yeah. So it's a little easier to like sink into and enjoy. I'm very curious. Um, so like when I think of comfort movies, like I have my list of comfort movies and some of them are, are movies that are just aggressively sad um, mm-hmm. that I <laughs> that I like watch with the purpose of like making me just feel my feelings yeah, <laughs> and just cry or something. Do you have any games like that that you would count as comfort games or with games? Is that like not what you go after? Yeah, I, I don't think that is what I go after. I think because I tend to not really, uh, most of my comfort games don't tend to be that narrative heavy. If I am looking to sort of zone out in that way, I'm not looking to games for the story. Like I will go to a comfort movie for that over a game uh, if that's the thing I'm looking for. Do you, is, is that something that you do seek in games? Sometimes, but the issue is, is I think the games that I would think of the most say like certain elements of Final Fantasy (laughs) IX or something. Sure. Um, Certain characters some of us are deeply and weirdly connected to. Yeah. um, It is something that I like enjoy or, oh, actually playing Final Fantasy VII remake just so I can like Mm. see Aerith. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. Oh. Literally, I have a save file from when I the first time I played Final Fantasy the the remake. It's like when you ch- there's some point in the game. I think it's maybe after Aerith has just left, uh, and that's why I'm thinking of it in context of her. But it's just a save where you like you check into that like apartment that you're staying in. Uh, the the slums around Seventh Heaven are just very busy, and it just feels very alive. And I just remember being really struck by how much it felt like a functioning kind of part of town you know something about it just felt really really active and real and i have that save file open or not open but i have it saved and sometimes i'll go and open it and just walk around that space just because it it does feel like bustling and in a real way that i think games often don't capture Mm -hmm. Uh, and that that's also very comforting uh that idea of like walking around a a busy part of town at night except i don't have to actually leave my apartment (laughs) Oh, one game actually that I'm thinking of or a series of games is Mass Effect Hmm. and replaying Mass Effect and like obviously not making any different decisions or romancing any different person. But replaying Mass Effect, I find that I've done several times in like periods where I want comfort Mm -hmm. just because I find it's a really enjoyable like sci-fi story with a bit of an emotional depth at certain like plot points or characters. And it feels so easy to get back into it and just go through that story. Yeah, that's funny. I I have done that a bit. I generally tend to not stick with it. But one that I that I have gone back to uh, very similarly is uh, Dragon Age Origins, mm. which uh, is the, you know, the first Dragon Age game. It just has a weird name. But yeah, it's that's one of the only story games that I tend to go back to a lot. Uh, I think just because I like that style of like tactics and uh, it is a very much one of those those grim stories that you were talking about but for whatever reason the kind of like party management of it i find really enjoyable there's also something there that starting rpgs like that can be a comfort activity for me uh like i've gone through baldur's gate 3 tyranny pillars of eternity and pathfinder in like the past week just like spending a really long time making a character 
and then spending like half as much time just like playing the opening of the game for whatever reason like creating characters and like you know deciding how to make them look cool the way I want to and like picking their skills and imagining a backstory for them and how they've gotten to this point and then playing the very first couple steps of that journey there's something in that to me that that gets really that is very comforting and just really lets me kind of like sink into the process of trying to like imagine who this character is yeah you just you just keep sending me pictures of characters from the Baldur's Gate 3 character creator this week yeah, I was on a I was on a good roll of sending you the hot tieflings that I was making every day. Um, I'm I'm sorry I've been slacking on my hot tiefling duties, yeah. but I uh, the past couple of days. But I I do intend to get back to that. There's almost a similar itch there of like playing, uh, like solo RP like solo tabletop RPGs, uh, where it's all about just sort of uh, imagining a world and imagining a history and sort of writing it backwards in a way. Uh, like writing a character that itself embodies the history that that isn't written for it. There's something I really like about that just as a a thought exercise. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I want to engage my brain a little bit more than just like playing, you know, match three games on my phone, which is another comfort genre for me. Uh, I will say one more game that is story focused in a way that I still find very comforting is Wildermyth, which is like a very different kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the really cool thing about that is it's like a procedural narrative game. So at various points in the game, like sort of random events will happen and they have long-term impacts on both your character and how the campaign plays out. And for whatever reason, I'm able to kind of internalize that more than just like a set story. Uh, and I think it's very similar to the like, solo tabletop RPG thing and to the character creator thing where you are, the story is what you make of it. Like it's, it it is, it relies on you to kind of like put feeling into it and to, to make interpretations of what's happening because those things aren't like a through line that carries through the entire narrative of the game. You just have to know that like, this is in your character's history and these are the relationships your characters have uh, and letting the story live in your head that way instead of being one that's being fed to you. I also find that to be uh, something that's really, really heartening when I, uh, when I don't have the energy to kind of pay attention to a more uh, focused narrative driven game. I also think you're just mentioning it because you're begging me to play it. I mean, I'm just <laughs> saying it would also be comforting to play this cool game with my friend where you can like, you know, accidentally get turned into werewolves or get magic gems embedded in your eyes. It's it's just a good time. Yeah. Uh, I think we're kind of getting to the end of our, our comfort game lists here. This isn't really related to anything I was talking about, but one I just wanted to bring up uh, is a game called Dauntless, which I, I've gone back to like so many times in the past. Uh, so if you're not familiar with it, it's it's like not the biggest game in the world, but it is a monster hunter type game that is made f- entirely to be like played like in like online co-op. So it doesn't have the sort of like anywhere near the depth of monster hunter and it doesn't have the big world to explore it is basically like there's a little there's like a hub area that you start in where you choose your loadout and all this stuff there's all kinds of different weapons that you can choose and just like monster hunter they play very differently but when you go into the world it's for these very focused monster hunts like everyone will only take you like 40 minutes or something and i believe there's even a timer on it but there's something maybe this is similar to the thing for you of playing like valorant or overwatch but being able to jump into a very focused 
game with a group of other people where it's just like we have one goal and we're going to like dive in and we're going to work together and and do it and we're going to succeed or we're going to fail and either way it's going to be over in roughly the same amount of time it's it scratches all those itches for me along with the kind of like character building along with the kind of like very cozy sort of graphics it's just it's a very fun game when you when you need to like hone in on like a very specific task that you know is not going to like spiral out of control in the way that like a lot of games can it's just you get in you get out and you you had a good time uh and it's something that i've i've just like i'll jump back into for a couple of rounds like every couple months and then leave it alone again uh it's really great for that but i think that brings us to the end of this very strange episode (laughs) uh so other than any of the things that we've just talked about uh what have you been getting up to this week, Willa. Yeah. So what my thing is, is it's very strange. This is my thing for this week is Flocko, the Eurasian Eagle Owl. Please <laughs> tell me about what on earth you're talking about. Okay. So at the time of recording, this is like all currently happening. So I'm just going to tell you the story as it is so far. Fantastic. On the morning of Friday... An owl was seen hanging out in Midtown in New York City, and somebody called the police because they were like, hey, there is an owl here and it's tagged, meaning it belongs to somebody or like an organization. So we need to like get that owl. And then it flew off. They weren't able to get it, but it just stayed in Central Park, just hanging out. You know, a bunch of people started taking pictures of it. And then the birding community was like, you know who this looks like? This looks like... Flocko, the Eurasian eagle owl, who lives at the Central Park Zoo. (laughs) So maybe we should call the zoo and see if Flocko is there. And then the zoo went to Flocko's enclosure and someone had slashed open his enclosure. Oh my God. And Flocko had escaped. So this was indeed Flocko. Now, since then, Flocko has just stayed in Central Park. The <laughs> The furthest he went is he like hung out in front of Bergdorf's and was just looking at the lights. Um, but he hasn't left. He's just been hanging out on branches. They haven't been able to get him yet, but just every day people are just posting updates and taking pictures of Flacco. Um, he's a very pretty bird. So it's 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 this wild story that is unfolding at the moment. The like the downside of it is that it's very cold out right now, but that's like fine. He is meant for the cold. The thing that people are worried about is that he's been in the zoo for like 10 years. He mm-hmm. is he doesn't really know how to hunt. So Flacco needs to oh, get man. home. Bring Flacco home. <laughs> save Flacco. Yeah, save Flacco. So this is like literally all day, I'm just checking on updates of Flacco. It's been a wild series of events. That is incredible. Yeah. This So this reminds me of um, in Pittsburgh, where, where I, I'm located, there is uh, there's a peregrine falcon that... Nest- so uh, University of Pittsburgh, they have a li- their library is called the Cathedral of Learning, which is an insane sounding name if you've never heard it before. But it's like it's just this giant like gothic tower uh, in the middle of their campus. And there's a peregrine falcon that nests at the top of, of the tower. Uh, and there is a webcam where you can watch uh, the, the falcon and like its little baby birds like 24-7. And it is like a, an obsession of 
basically everybody in Pittsburgh is like this this peregrine falcon who you can just watch hang out all day. Did you know New York City has the largest population of peregrine falcons in the United States? I did not know that. Yeah. Fun fun bird that's, fact for you. Fun bird fact. I also, that's the bird fact of the week. <laughs> I also just sent you a picture of Flacco. Oh, Flacco's beautiful. He is Flacco. very pretty. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what have you been doing this eventful week? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, never mind. I was deciding not to make it sad. Um, uh, yeah. So it's been a, a week of just sort of seeking comfort given, uh, you know, hence the... Um, the topic of this week's episode. Uh, and so uh, a very good friend of mine kindly had me over like yesterday. I just went over and sort of crashed on their couch and they fed me pad thai and, you know, made me coffee and just let me be a bummer on their couch all day. Uh, and we just sort of like played a bunch of video games and it was very fun. It's, you know, it's spending the whole day like sitting on the couch and playing co-op games with someone is uh, is always a fun time. But one of the things we did was we f- we played, so they were at the very end of Kirby and the Forgotten Land, mm-hmm. which is a game that like you can play in co-op, like you can just add a second player at any time, which is very fun. So we played the last couple levels of that game in in the co-op mode uh and it was it was just a really great time like i I mentioned it briefly on this this show before uh but it's just a very again another very comforting game it's very bright and simple but it it does get like you know much more challenging toward the end especially if you're going for like the sort of like completionist type of thing but what i really love about the end of that game is how completely bonkers it gets it is one of the wildest endings to a game i've ever seen and it's just so funny that it comes at the end of this like cute little platformer where yeah you you basically fight this thing that is like opening portals to other worlds and uh it it feels like a combination of like some kind of bizarre legendary pokemon and the angels from evangelion uh it, it's it's incredibly bizarre uh it's very fun you end up defeating it by driving a truck into it which is great uh but it was just a very fun time to to you know chill with my friend and and play this this game with a completely whack ending uh so yeah that was just that was just a fun thing that that really stuck out in otherwise a pretty not fun week for me uh but with that uh this does bring this very strange episode of girl mode to a close (laughs) as always you can find us on social media we're on twitter at girl mode underscore pod and on co-host at GirlMode-Pod. I'm both of those places at Robin Bombas. And I am also on both of those places at The Willow Row. Uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for bearing with me. Bye. <laughs> gonna take a quick break to burp (laughs) there's always got to be the burp break it's gotta be Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be girl mode without it